Welcome to Heads Up Hockey. It is all things hockey talk and all things centric around the game. And it's also New Jersey Devils talk as well. And please enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Heads Up Hockey podcast. And right now from the Puck Authority, we have Armand Klisvich on right now. And uh, later on in the show, we'll have Justin Levine jump on. He, too, is from the Puck Authority. So, Armand, let's uh, get right into it. Thank you for having me, Joe. You're welcome. So, we're talking mostly ECHL, East Coast Hockey League. Um, Let's elaborate on the league first to the listeners because most of them are used to the AHL and the other main you know, hockey leagues that we're accustomed to. So let's have you hit on them first. Yeah, the ECHL right now is basically a 26-team league. Um, a lot of the NHL teams, the NHL teams have, have affiliates with these teams. So it's basically a step under um, from the AHL. Um, what you'll see there is either a bunch of guys who really couldn't make it at the AHL or NHL level, and a lot of the younger prospects um, for, from a lot of teams. All right. So it reminds me in the point uh, early in the year, the Devils had no room to put uh, Comrie, and they had to put him down in, uh, I think it was Adirondack early in the year, and they had to let him gain some experience before they were going to make way uh, while Jill Sen was – uh, getting his reps in uh, in Binghamton, and here we have Justin. Hello. Hey. Hello. Justin, can barely hear you guys. <laughs> we were just talking about uh, the ECHL, and uh, currently talking about the Adirondack Thunder uh, in this uh, this part of the show. So, um, Armand could carry on the first part. And uh, Justin can follow in yep. anytime. Yes, Perfect. Okay, now I can hear you better. <laughs> so yeah, as you mentioned, Joe. Yeah, uh, Evan Cormier. Um, you know, bounced was bouncing up and down the whole year uh, between Adirondack and Binghamton. Um, really wasn't able to really put up any solid numbers there. Um, when it went in uh, Adirondack, he was three, five, and six. Uh, 3.5 goals against, uh, 885 save percentage. And, you know, um, and that was in Binghamton in, uh, what was it, six games, and then 15 games of the Thunder. Um, it's 2 8 and 1 in Binghamton. So, you know, really couldn't couldn't get the uh, the handle on things. And, you know, I, I talked to him during the year and I said, you know, how do you, what's it like, you know, being called up? And then being sent down, being called up, being sent down every other week. And he, and he goes, you know, you kind of get used to it, but you would have to think for a goaltender, it's not exactly ideal for, you know, trying to find your way. Yeah, I honestly, when the regular season's happening and Ray Shiro would always, like, call him up to Binghamton, send him down to the ECHL in Adirondack, and it's like, God, can there be any stability? Um, the other guy I didn't bring up yet, uh, Nikita Papagayev. Uh, 
last I checked, he went back to Russia. Um, he was the Devils' fourth round pick a few years ago. Yeah, um, that that has been confirmed. Popgarv did go back to Russia. Um, but he was a he was a big forward for you know he's got size. Um, you know, with a good second or third line guy for the Thunder. Um, but you know, had a few injuries and really struggled to really put up points all season. Um, so you know, especially with everything going on, it doesn't surprise you that he's uh he's heading back home. I mean, especially during the pandemic, a lot of the Russian and European players are going back home, especially either with or without a contract. It's it's more of a safety net for them. Yeah, I totally agree with you there, Joe. It is a safety net. And uh, I, I was just remembering a kid that the Devils signed earlier uh, in Ludwig Larsson, and it was in that prospect tournament. And he made the team, but um, I heard it was confirmed that he was uh, signed back home in Sweden, if that's true, from uh, the Adirondack Thunder. He was, but, um, you know, when he was up, in, when he was down in the Adirondack, he was probably, you know, if he was probably definitely a first-line forward for them. You know, he was a guy who was putting up points consistently almost every night. So he was a guy who, you know, had that had that thing where he couldn't make it in the AHL, but it was a little bit too good for the ECHL. So he kind of should have been in, you know, AHL, but sometimes you just can't get the right fit. And this is why they usually have other team scouts in the stands that maybe bring you to a European league. So this is probably why it's better for the, this individual's career. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, he he, he really didn't fit uh, in the AHL Binghamton, and you know it was nice to have him in Adirondack. You know, he brought he brought us scoring, but you know, like you said, a lot of guys with the pandemic are are going to go back home as a safety net. And Justin, um, I haven't got in, got you on this situation just yet, but you can uh, elaborate on the reason things going on with the ECHL players and other players in uh, the hockey world as things are starting to kind of renormalize. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a kind of a difficult situation, especially because again, uh, we, we were waiting yesterday uh, for an announcement incoming today uh, from the board of governors regarding the season uh, and what that may look like as things start to renormalize. However, again, you have to keep in mind that, uh, not all regions are perfect. And so with that being said, there's two teams in Canada in the ECHL, that being Brampton and Newfoundland, two completely different parts of the country. So that in mind, you have to figure out, okay, what's going to work and what's not going to work. And, you know, do these teams need to play out of American arenas for the year? And, um, you know, I expect that that's something we're still uh, possibly going to hear from this Board of Governors announcement. Um, and again, there will be players that, like you mentioned, will be going home uh such as Popigev to Sweden, uh, just uh, because of COVID-19, you know, it's purely a logistics thing when it comes to safety. And, you know, it's, you know, this isn't a perfect scenario for everyone. So, um, you know, it's hard and, um, you know, it's have to take it for what it is this season. And to me, this sounds more like, you know, with the NHL draft coming up in October and who knows by the time, 
uh, January rolls in, you know, the first line of vaccines come in to fight COVID-19 and get people back in the stands. Do you believe that with some of these European players and uh, North American players that are possibly going to want to be a little bit closer to home, they'll find a way to stay with their normal club as it is, you know, as age permitting, that it will allow them to stay and uh, get a little bit better and marinate a season longer than just going to like an AHL, ECHL affiliate? Yeah, I think that that's certainly possible. Um, again, there's a lot of different um, aspects and, uh, you know, moving gears right now. So um, it's definitely something that I'd say, uh, I, you know, I wouldn't doubt. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, how that kind of uh, shifts into uh, this season's play and uh, those years moving forward. And so, uh, Armand, I wanted to see what you think going forward, what the ECHL is doing along with Spit and Chicklets. Uh, has their uh, ECHL uh, relief fund that, you know, their sponsors or whoever donates uh, like 10 grand, you know, to the league. Um, What do you know about that and the league trying to sustain, you know, some sort of uh, financial stability? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's great what, what, what they're doing. And I think, you know, this was all started, Joe, when, when the ECHL basically ended their season short. And a lot of these teams, you know, everyone wasn't – the players weren't getting paid, you know. Organizations were having trouble. But I think I think the biggest thing you can take out of this um, is that throughout this whole, you know, pandemic, we haven't seen any ECHL teams fold, which, you know, is great news considering, you know, there are a few teams that were on the brink, you know, that may have had trouble – so I think, you know, the relief team has really helped them out. So it's nice to see that, you know, we haven't lost any teams, um, especially after they lost the team um, in the previous season with Manchester folding. Yeah, and you mentioned Manchester, and I'm just looking at the team sites, and I'm looking at, you know, Idaho is a small market for hockey usually, but knowing that, you know, these teams like them and you have the Fort Wayne Comets around and the Florida Everblades are usually, I wouldn't say immune, but they got, you know, a lot of, you know, people who are expats from, you know, different parts of North America who live there and go to games. And usually uh, one of our writers uh, for the Atlanta Gladiators should be very happy to still have a hockey team in the city of Atlanta. Yeah, and you know when you when you look at these markets, you know Florida's obviously got a, a big one because they they've had success the last few years. Um, they've been one of those teams who's always contending for the in the Kelly Cup, Cup playoffs. And you know, same thing with Atlanta; they had a, they had another strong season. So I think if you if you're bringing in a good product, I think the only question is, you know, I think you know some fans are going to be wary to go back into ranks. But I think if you have if you have a good product like Atlanta, and you know like Idaho, and you know. Like Florida, I, I don't think it's going to be an issue. And uh, and I want to also speak with Justin on this one. Um, I see the main Mariners are in this league as well, um, along with the Newfoundland Growlers. Uh, we have Megan Bondi who covers the, the main team. And it seems 
that they've been doing just fine despite all the craziness and um, this pandemic year. And it's great to see a small market and a, nat- and a natural New England state like Maine uh, be able to have their own team stay afloat. Yeah, it is. But, um, you know, I think there was, there may have been some doubt uh, in recent months just because of, you know, how out of hand that things started to get uh, in in the main area, uh, A, due to protests and B, just due to, you know, the fact that businesses had to shut down for longer periods of time than expected. And so that left a question. All right. How does a hockey team survive uh, in this part? So, um, you know, the fact that they're able to make a return and do so sustainably i think that speaks a lot um you know to just um you know how crucial it is because hockey is it's a sport and a business and we have to remember that so um you know i think that being said um it's great to see a small town like that uh have a hockey team and one that can be successful and so i want to touch on you know it proves during even the worst of times like this, um, when things do get to resume as back to normal, eventually fans get back in the stands. Um, what kind of numbers should the ECHL see uh, as it starts to get back to breaking even dollars wise or percentage wise? I think the ECHL is, is really going to be one of those leagues who's really going to fight to have as many fans as they can in in the stands. I I think personally, you got to have at least 75%, you know, especially seeing that the ECHL is so gate driven um, and a lot of their money comes from that. Um, I I think that's why they're going to hold off till, you know, December or January so that they can, they can assure fans that, Hey, we're going to have fans in the rink. It may be with masks, but Hey, you're bringing that revenue. And I think they're going to try to, you know, get something rather than nothing. And you, you bring up the point of the masks and uh, it seems most states and most provinces and Canada and the U S are doing their very best to get people tested. I got my test and came back negative. So uh, I've been wearing my mask and keep my distance. Um, I hope you know, fingers crossed, you know, people, you know, take the necessary precautions and organizations take the precautions to do their prudence um, before they open their gates eventually and start selling merchandise. Yeah. And I think it's, it's going to be, it's, it's obvious that that's going to happen. I think, you know, we're seeing it, you know, even at workplaces now, you know, I think obviously you're going to see temperature checks and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but the, the, the real question is just going to be how ha- logistically, how do you do it? I think maybe we see earlier gates opening a little bit early, earlier, just so they can, you know, be able to take everybody's temperature. Um, uh, but I, I think, you know, it, we still have a while to go. And I think the ECHL and, you know, every league's still trying to figure out what, what they can do and what they have to implement. And, you know, I, I still think it's a work in progress, but you know, it's, it's a lot better off than we were a few months ago. And uh, any, this is a question for the, both of you guys. Um, you know, I spoke with Anya Packer uh, episodes ago about how the national women's hockey league is using Twitch and they started seeing around 8 million views on Twitch during the season. Uh, do you think the ECHL and other hockey leagues will 
use this form of social media through a company like Amazon to help bring more eyeballs and maybe some uh, some contract revenue uh, towards these leagues and help build a better uh, financial balance sheet over time? Um, I think that the ECHL is certainly a league that could definitely benefit from this. Um, you know, as I understand, they have uh, something called ECHL TV, just like the AHL does AHL TV. However, um, what I also understand is that the quality is very poor on ECHL TV. And so if you can, you know, find a contract that, you know, something that is a free and people don't have to worry about buying for such a, for, you know, it's cause it's not quality. So you're, you know, you're not really benefiting from your money. So I see it as if you can get a, a good broadcast on Twitch and, you know, you can still have the same camera setups only for the fact that the quality of those cameras are so much stronger and therefore provide a, a better, um, you know, game performance. I think, you know, what, what, why wouldn't you, want to find yourselves on twitch and you know that also gives a strong outreach and again you look at the national women's hockey league which i cover uh primarily the toronto six and you know you see the success that they've had this season on the first of a three-year deal and so you know i think that that almost begs to differ like if you're gonna if you're gonna experiment and you want to continue to literally grow the game because at the end of the day that's all any league wants to do i i don't see how you how you don't even consider this. So I think that's something that EC, the ECHL could definitely benefit from. And what are some topics that have been on the top of your minds coming into today that um, you really want to throw it out there and really hit on? You know, the one thing I've, I've preached um, that, you know, I'm, I, I'm seeing at the NHL and, you know, I get it. We have to do our social distancing and everything. But the one thing I'm very interested to see, you know, next season ECHL is how they go about, you know, with, with, with posting interviews and everything. You know, the ECHL is completely different from the NHL. I mean, when you look at some of these teams, they don't have much media coverage. If, um, for example, when you look at a, a team like Adirondack, you basically have um, maybe one or two local newspapers, two on a good day. They always have one uh, local newspaper there um, in the post-star. Um, uh, Sinbin and then, um, us from the puck authority. So, I mean, it, it's, it got to the point where at the end of the season, once, you know, the COVID started to hit where they had a six foot barrier between us and the players and that, that I can work with. I just think that, you know, with the zoom interviews, you lose that, you know, that, that raw answer you're getting, you know, five, five minutes after these players come off the ice. When, when you're doing a zoom interview, these players have, you know, a little bit of time to think about what they want to say. Right. Um, I was going to say with Zoom, it's been great for interviews, but it's not great for like meeting that secret source that you want to meet or uh, meet the player and get to know them firsthand and interview them um, through your line of journalism. And it just seems that it's a bit more restricted now and the slow normalization or the pause of the normalization of a new normal. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, you know, and I'm sure Justin can attest to this as well as, you know, you, you lose a lot, you know, you know, you, I, I only covered the vendor for a year, but you get those, you get those guys who, you know, will, will talk to you about anything, you know, and that's how you can start up your little, you know, 
series on on getting to another player. And I just I just feel like that's gonna be a huge thing that's gonna be lost in journalism. And if it does continue, I think it's gonna be very interesting to see, you know, how that continues. And uh Justin, we are talking about how these restrictions, you know, like um like since the beginning of COVID when this was ruled a international pandemic, um what do you think you see uh going forward that before a vaccine occurs, how will this affect not just, you know, NHL, but even ECHL interviews um, on both sides of the border? Um, yeah, I think that, again, for media, uh, especially speaking from the Canadian perspective where I covered the Ontario Hockey League, it's going to be the exact same. It's going to be, you know, the Zoom meetings and you're going to lose that, you know, first raw, raw immediate thought uh, that's off the top of the player's head when they first exit the ice after a game. They'll have uh, McCullough think about it and, uh, you know, w- w- will that be losing out on uh, some quality stuff? Uh, I think that's a double-edged sword, whereas... Part of me says yes, and part of me says no. Um, to, because you know these players are gonna some days come off really excited, some days they're gonna come off really upset, some days they're gonna come off really angry, and so you know you're not getting the full emotion. They're gonna have that time to think about it, uh, you know, talk it out, and then you lose that. And you know, we also as media we shape our stories around, you know, the players, and you know, because at the end of the day, they're not just players; they're people too. So we shape our stories around their thoughts and. You know, I think that's going to be uh, a little more challenging just because of that uh, loss of uh, immediate raw thought uh, as they exit the ice for the night. Yeah, what I was hoping, um, like, eventually, like, when the trade deadline already passed by in February, um, what I was looking forward to, hadn't been for COVID-19, I was looking forward to possibly um, interviewing uh, Yanni Kwokanen and all these other uh, new young devils uh, in the locker room and see what their thoughts were on how Tommy Fitzgerald uh, handled the situation, how things with Nazardine were improving. Um, but now that there's a huge wrench uh, with this pandemic, it's just like we can't get as much access until there is some sort of um, – you know, new normal and a new safety measure for everyone to eventually get to know uh, everyone else on a personal level. Uh, With that being said, I would like to get to know Lindy Ruff as well as Fitzy. Right. And that's something that I don't think is going to happen now because of all these restrictions. And so I think, you know, we have to be very weary of, uh, you know, how things play out going forward until there's a vaccine because, you know, the most likely scenario is that we don't have a fix to all this until at least January of 21. And, uh, you know, we're seeing that some could be in human trials by next month, but, um, you know, how that sets up for the future uh, remains to be seen because they're, you know, it's being worked on everywhere. And uh, so until then, it's going to be professional sports. It's going to look completely different. We're seeing, you know, empty arenas around the globe. We're seeing, you know, again, Zoom calls. And, um, you know, this is just, this is the way it's got to be. And, it, you know, this is, um, this is a shame. And it's not going to give us uh, as media the, th- the things we need and want um, until, you know, there's a vaccine that proves to be working. And, uh, you know, it's actually taken seriously. And, you know, the public responds well to it. And so I'm thinking about an ECHL player who played, Seasons ago, uh, 
for the Chicago Blackhawks and uh, Scott Darling. Um, who are some possible uh, ECHL players that are probably that we we're not thinking of that could be playing in these playing rounds or the playoffs that could be making a name for the ECHL? Um, I think one name you I that really caught my eye, um, which I think is really you're really going to see the true value of him next year. Um, is Nick Hutch- Hutchinson of Canavius College out in uh, Buffalo. Um, only played in one game after being signed by the Thunder um, a- after uh, his, his college season ended. Um, big guy, 6'3", uh, 201, uh, strong two-way forward. Um, in four years, it's, he had 60 goals, 53 assists um, in 140 games. But, you know, it, when I saw him in Adirondack, the kid looked great. You know, he can get back on Deacon. He can, he can use his body. And he's got, you know, that big body, that big, you know, boring body who can put up, you know, 20 goals next season um, with the Thunder. So I'm really hoping they, they, they lock him down uh, in the near future. And, you know, he could definitely be a guy who could be in the AHL by, by uh, you know, February or March. And it, and it just seems that, you know, there's at least one or two guys from these smaller known leagues that – come to be, you know, the product of the unknown where your scouts really do come in handy and your development team comes in handy. And what do you think of the staff down in Adirondack? You know, I, I, I think Alex Lowe, the uh, head coach and head of hockey operations down there, he's been there for the last, I believe, three years. He'll be going to his third year. I mean, he's really got a handle on things. And, you know, when I when I ask him about you know Cormier, it really seems like he doesn't really have any control over there. But you know when he has these guys down here, um, he does a great job in being able to develop them and you know give them the playing time um, that they need. And so, Justin, what do you think about um, the similar question uh, answered by uh, Armand in that fashion, with the way teams are? you know, operating in the ECHL, trying to build them up for the next level in the AHL. Well, here's something I've actually noticed, and I'll start with uh, just ECHL development on its own, is that uh, recently the Fort Wayne Comets, they went out and got Luke Boca from the OHL, who is actually a commitment to university sports here in Canada. And uh, he was a candidate to, you know, be drafted and find himself potentially in the AHL uh, to and leave university sports despite committing anyways. So the fact that, you know, they started uh, they started off here in Canada and they grabbed Luke Boca, I think, uh, spoke a lot. And in terms of AHL development, when you look at, um, you know, players who are more ready, because again, Boca is only going to his first year, but uh, something I want to touch on. Um, I think, you know, the AHL, this sets up the AHL really well because a lot of these players, A, they're not only uh, some of them stronger and, uh, you know, higher known names than others, but a lot of these players have actually proven that they could be ready for AHL action because, you know, ECHL is only the first step to pro, but, um, you know, there's there's only a slight difference in the pace of play. So I think it actually sets up uh, AHL organizations really well. And, you know, they, they see that they see the progress and, you know, that's, that speaks volumes. It's not just a, okay, let's, let's wait a little bit longer. And, you know, this, that's usually the, the, not only the last stepping stone, 
but a stepping stone that usually, depending on who you are, uh, only lasts so long before you find yourself in your first NHL stint. So, um, you know, this ECHL is really, um, you know, it's a solid, I don't want to say it's a development league because it's not, but um, it certainly sets the tone for the remainder of a player's career. So it's it's basically the stepping stone, but not a development league, as some people like to put it. Um, I do want to touch on the AHL because, you know, that's where a lot of listeners usually haven't really thought of. Or I know someone who uh, had been working with uh, the Texas Stars, and she was wondering if we could hit on that more and uh, – what do you think about all these, you know, teams like in Texas, like, you know, or Binghamton that have been developing uh, prospects and not having to rush them uh, and eventually get them to play on their NHL of, uh, clubs that they're affiliated with? Well, it certainly gives them the time. There's no question about that. Not only that, but, uh, you know, covering the AHL's Toronto Marlies, they also give the players all the time they need it. When you, you know, all put out a name of Jeremy Bracco, who has had plenty and plenty of time to develop. Uh, he has, he's seen, you know, uh, I'd say it was a prospect tournament kind of thing uh, with the Maple Leafs organization, which was played in Laval, Quebec. But, um, you know, these are teams that they want to ensure that these players are 100% absolutely ready because if they don't see what they like, they're not they're they're not going to rush to have them return. They're going to take a year. Some might take two years. They want to see the results. They want to see those numbers. They want to see them. They don't only want to just see them. They want to see them rise. And so you know, there the AHL. I mean, there you have to be at your best. The ECHL. That's again your stepping stone. But once you're at the AHL, you know this is kind of your make or break kind of situation. So um, you know, if these teams find it best that these players you know, stay stay down longer before they come up to the, the NHL, even if it's for, let's say, the end of a regular season or um, exhibition games prior to a season. You know, you do what you got to do. That way these players kind of, you know, A, they get the idea. They know what they have to work on so they can find themselves with an NHL contract and on NHL ice. And you, and you hit on very well about Jeremy Bracco being one of those forwards and prospects that, you know, the Leafs didn't have to rush. Uh, Tim Lee Liljegren, uh, a defenseman who could be up in Toronto, but he is not. Uh, but certainly those two could be trade bait at some point. The Devils have a guy like that in Jesper Bokvist if he doesn't crack the forward lineup. Um, he could be used like that, you know, because he was waiting after the first, I think, 35 games in his uh, Swedish and – uh, NHL contract where uh, he had to play a minimal of a certain amount of games and then they could send him down to Binghamton, which I found pretty funny uh, in a contractual manner. Um, I don't know how many times this happens with European players when uh, they get brought over. Yeah, I can't really speak to that only because a franchise here uh, such as Toronto doesn't uh, have a lot of Europeans, so uh, I'm not really going to talk too much to that. But um, yeah, like you said, there's, uh, you know, you see how 
these players are dealt with in different contract manners uh, between going up and down from the AHL and, you know, how that all operates. So um, should it be any different? No, but, um, you know, every everything's different, especially because uh, European players also, you know, they make the transfer from overseas and uh, there's usually a lot of different ins and outs that have to be sorted out through those uh, new contracts. So uh, just something to think about. And I was just thinking about um, during the season, Jesperi Koka Niemi spent a little stint in Laval. How do you think that's starting to pay off for him now in the playing round after he scored a nice goal last night uh, in, in the game versus Pittsburgh? Okay, so I think that was, um, you know, that was huge for him only because I know that Joel Bouchard, who now is head coach of the Laval Rocket, came from the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and he led the uh, team in Armada. And that was, you know, huge because Bouchard's been a coach for many, many years and he knows, you know, how to develop players of all kinds. And so not only was he getting a player who was still adjusting to North American ice, but he was developing a player who could be the face of the Montreal Canadiens in the future. So I think that this was huge. And I think that Kotkaniemi has gotten the idea now of what's to be expected on NHL ice after a slow start when he first came up. And he, he just seemed to be a lot more cool and collected and scoring against a, a really loaded Pittsburgh team. And, you know, we it's important when we do talk development and growing these prospective players. And Armand, you can attest to this. Um, you've seen guys like, uh, Yegor Sharangovich. You've seen, uh, a couple of really great notable, uh, devils prospects in Binghamton, if I'm not uh, mistaken, who are some of your guys that, you know, people haven't kept their eye on, uh, as of lately. You know, I think I think when you look at those guys that people should be keeping an eye on, I think I think it's names that people have never heard on heard about, like a guy like Marcel Haney and a guy who 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 led the Thunder last year in goals. And you know, you know, when you look at at the Frenchman, you got to go with a young guy like Charlie Curdy in his first year last year out of uh, I believe Yale. You know, he had a solid season. You know, uh, another guy, Robbie Payne, another. Uh, you know, guy who's seen a little bit of AHL action, uh, another strong forward for them. But a lot of these guys are putting up points like crazy and just haven't gotten the call, which, you know, tends to surprise sometimes. And is it true that you spent time in Binghamton uh, this past season and the past few seasons? If yes, um, who are some standout players that, you know, let's say, you know, the team beat writer isn't really – mentioning but you're noticing that you know some other people should have their eye on you know i haven't been down in binghamton but you know i'm gonna go back to what you were talking about earlier i think one of those names you got to look at is uh ludwig larson i think he's a guy who you know has played great in adirondack and you know he's one of those guys when you watch him play you wonder why he's not in the hl and why you know he really hasn't gotten his shot down there because he, he had a great he had a great little stint up, up in Adirondack. But you know, you know, you could see the guys who you know come down from Binghamton still you know need a little work. But largely one of those guys who just fit in and, and and was you know caught fire right away. Yeah, and we talk about like how the Bruins also have the Providence Bruins and they play a similar structure to the big club, and it goes to show you like 
you know, they'll bring up a, a Grizzlick and maybe a few other names to just jump up from the system and become mainstays. Um, who do you think has the best AHL and ECHL uh, partnership? You know, I'd have to go with Newfoundland and Toronto. I think I think when you look at the Newfoundland roster, you see a lot of AHL names on that. And, you know, you start to see those guys, you know, within a season even start to hit the Maple Leafs lineup. So I think that the relationship there is really good. I think that that's one of the reasons why, you know, the the not only the Leafs, you know, are a playoff team every year, but the Growlers are always one of the top teams in the, in the ECHL. And so, um, Justin, I want to get your perspective on other uh, AHL teams that you see a lot of, you know, mainstays in the NHL from, you know, the AHL. Who are some of your favorite teams and why do you think they've developed a really good strategy in building a program like that? Um. Well, obviously, the Toronto Marlies, I think, is one of them alongside the Laval Rocket. I think both of them have the, you know, the management uh, and leadership behind the organizations that uh, they're able to uh, monitor progress properly and therefore find that balance knowing, okay, so this is how we're going to do things. And usually the NHL team will agree. And, you know, it's because, again, it's a lot of, um, you know, testing and doing and, um, you know, you have to take it day by day especially when you're again building a franchise and um you know i think the laval rocket being the fairly newest one to the american hockey league um that's still something that they're trying to figure out hence just very cock and yammy going up and down um but you know and yeah when you look at these affiliations i think that speaks um you know a lot a lot to the partnerships that uh, have to be developed and they because i think something that also kind of gets lost in transition is um okay you know, AHL teams do do they get the ma- the management from uh, NHL franchises, uh, or do they bring in completely new faces? Do are they experienced, et cetera, et cetera? And so, you know, again, when you look at, for example, the Laval Rocket, they're run by Larry Carrier, who works or worked rather in the front office of the Montreal Canadiens prior to. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the, the same can be said for the GM of the Toronto Marlies. Um, you know, who once upon a time was Kyle Dubas, now GM of the Maple Leafs. And so, it, you know, really that just speaks to the relationship, the relationships. And if you can keep those strong and you're on the same page uh, with understanding player development, then, you know, you're off to the races, essentially. It all falls in place. And you, and you mentioned uh, not only the Laval Rocket, but also um, we mentioned the Newfoundland Growlers. And I remember when the Newfoundland Growlers became about in the ECHL, um, it became – one of the teams that uh, Ryan Klo eventually did coach for until he started having head problems after his uh, several concuss- concussions when the NHL doctors had to rule him uh, no longer deemable to play. And what did you think of uh, a guy like Ryan Klo, who had been a big, you know, enforcer slash power forward in the NHL before – um, going over to the Growlers and being the guy he was in Newfoundland. 
Um, I actually didn't get the experience to watch this player much. Um, so I'm actually going to pass this one on to Armand, who uh, might have some better insight on this specific player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, new, who are you talking about, guys? guys? Newfoundland's own Ryan Clough. Yeah, you know, I think Clough's a guy who, you know, like you mentioned, you know, really couldn't get that coaching career. And I think, you know, like you mentioned, he was in Newfoundland. But, you know, Newfoundland now, they still have a great ownership um, with John Stone behind the bench there. And I think, you know, Dean McDonald really knows what he's doing. And I think another thing you have to look at when Newfoundland is it's not only how they're looking to grow, you know, their own franchise there, but they're also looking to grow the league. And that comes with the partnership of um, Dean McDonald looking to get a team in Trois-Rivières, which we and Justin have been keeping close eyes on the last and few months. In the past few drafts, we've seen Newfoundlanders go in the first round. Um, last year being Alex Newhook. Um, what do you think of uh, Dawson Mercer as a prospect that uh, will end up going in the first round, uh, potentially? Um, okay, so I actually very much like this player. Uh, again, he's currently playing in the WHL and took part in the CIBC Canada Russia series, which I had the opportunity from the CHL to cover. And so uh, knowing that he's likely a first round pick this year, um, again, I think that uh, he's the kind of player that, you know, this is, you know, NHL quality. And this is the kind of thing that teams are looking for. And um, again, as another Newfoundland product, um, you know, would he be, would he make a good fit potentially with the growlers to get his pro career going after major junior? Absolutely. And uh, you know, would, would doing it from his hometown be, you know, an excellent way to kick that off again? Absolutely. And I think, you know, he's also got this, you know, leadership way about him. And so I think that you can't go wrong uh, having Mercer in your lineup or in your clubhouse in any way. I think he mends well with players very quickly and especially uh, in such a short time, like the CIBC Canada Russia series where chemistry has to either click or it just doesn't at all Um, for the WHL. It did. And part of that wasn't thanks to him. And we've seen over the years in the NHL where we've seen, uh, I just trying to remember a few Newfoundlanders, Besides, well, it was Teddy Purcell and Ryan Klo basically led the way for uh, that province of Canada. And it just seems that, you know, each generation uh, going into the NHL draft is starting to follow their footsteps. And uh, do you believe that Newfoundland and Labrador are starting to make a comeback uh, in the hockey world? Um, yeah, again, when you, you know, you see someone like Dawson Mercer and, you know, uh, the success that he's having. So I think that, uh, that, that right there speaks volumes that yes, absolutely. Um, that, you know, that's a province that's starting to see hockey players, uh, you know, growing and, you know, coming out, uh, really strong and, um, you know, can we see a lot more of that going forward? Absolutely. And I think Mercer represents everything that is new and fresh in, you know, youth hockey from, uh, you know, the region of Newfoundland. And we also forget the other maritime Canadian provinces of uh, Prince Edward Island and Nova Scotia, where uh, you got guys like Marchand, you have Crosby and McKinnon who come from these 
uh, lesser known parts of Canada, but really they tend to flourish more in these smaller areas that really uh, don't get enough attention. What is it in the waters of uh, the Maritimes that really develops a lot of really great players outside of Quebec and uh, Ontario? That's a great question. Um, and I think the best way to answer this would be that, you know, you're starting to see it both in men and women's hockey. And so is it the coaching? Perhaps, uh, you know, off the top of my head, I can't think of uh, any reputable coaches uh, from those regions uh, specifically. However, there's definitely something in the waters that um, is starting to, you know, rise that talent. And it's not just on the players alone. It's on, you know, everything uh, behind the scenes. And so that attributes to, uh, you know, junior hockey um, and, you know, even the ECHL can be uh, recognized, uh, speaking of which, given that they're in the Maritimes themselves. So, um, you know, just something to keep tabs on. Uh, and, you know, as it came to myself, I will say, uh, you know, don't sleep on these Newfoundlanders and those from the Maritimes because just like those from Ontario and from Quebec, you know, they're just as good and they're just, you know, yes, they've been slow, but they're certainly upcoming now and they're not stopping. And so, uh, Armand, I want to see what you're thinking about with the way the NHL is being formed by different U.S. states like California, New Jersey, and maybe some lesser-known places. And, of course, Jake Sanderson's coming from a state like Montana, which usually you don't get many hockey players out of. But you also got some, you know – like, remember, there was Jordan Tutu who came from Nunavut. Um, and then you had, what was his name? Uh, I think it was, what was his name? Dylan Cousins or something who was yes, from uh, the Yukon? Correct. And so what do you see as a Canadian where these lesser-known areas are starting to be developed more in this hockey industry? No, I think I think the one thing, you know, as an American, you know, I think one thing you got to look at, you know, especially when you talk about, you know, the, the lesser known cities is that's basically what the, the ECHL is aiming at, you know, especially when you got these places, in, like you mentioned, like in Kalamazoo, Idaho, Rapid City, um, you know, it, it they, you know, a lot of these arenas are small and they, they tend to give that, you know, that small town, you know, feel and that's what you get in a town like Adirondack, and, you know, uh, a story came out about uh, two weeks ago uh, from Will Springston of the uh, Post-Star who basically, you know, mentioned that um, Adirondack was like one of like one of the top 20 hockey cities in America. And, you know, it, it's great to see that, you know, and even just walking around and going to a few of those bars after the game, you still get that like small town feel, which is great. And I think I think and that's a great thing for hockey. I mean, you know, a lot of people usually – don't think of like Kansas city as a place to go for hockey. Um, but people say, Oh, that was where the Kansas city scouts, you know, relocated from after two years or whatever. And then they became the Colorado Rockies. And then they became later on my New Jersey devils. And now you see the NA NAHL, which is the, the tier below the USHL where they actually, came up with a new logo for the Kansas city scouts of that team. 
in that league. And it shows you that they're playing it off their heritage of hockey and they are starting to base off where they can develop players from, you know, each NAHL draft. And it just seems that they're doing a good job at rebranding and making an impact on the city of uh, Kansas City. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, it, it, it starts with something small, you know, um, you know, before Adirondack, it was a team who was, you know, it was an HL team, you know, a few years ago. So, like you said, that's how these cities become known is because, you know, they're going to become something or they are something right now. So, you know, it's nice to see these small, you know, little cities that nobody knows about getting, uh, getting, uh, you know, and so, Notice. like, I'm looking at the map, and uh, and if you're going to a game to Adirondack, it's uh, it's it's south of the Montreal Quebec border, and you also have Ottawa in that area where you can easily, you know, take a bus up or a train up from, and you have Burlington, Vermont, uh, not too far away, and it just seems like a perfect like hockey tournament area where this really up and coming uh, area of New York state can really become, you know, one of the best attractions, you know, pre-coronavirus, post-coronavirus for ECHL games. Yeah. And you're exactly right there, Joe. And, uh, you know, let's go back a few years ago, you know, you could even add, um, Albany into it, where you got where you got the uh, the Albany Devils before they relocated to Binghamton. You know that's a, that it's a it's a great little area, and yeah, you know I think it's got you know it really covers you you know between you know off of that the throughway you got the the two team you got the Rangers in the city you got you got the uh, the the Albany Devils which are two and a half hours away, and then just just about another hour you got you got the uh, the Thunder, and then, you know, another two and a half hours. Yeah, you're, because you're in um, Montreal. what's interesting is, like, my grandma lives outside of Schenectady uh, in the town of Amsterdam. And so if you look up north, uh, you basically have Adirondack uh, almost 60% of the way up to the Canadian border. And you can be in the middle of Sabres country, uh, Rangers, Devils, and you got the Bruins – and then you got the senators and you have the Canadians all in one area where everyone's competing for f- fans pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's really not Ottawa, but I think, you know, the Boston Montreal, you know, the, the, the Ranger Devils. Like, I think that, 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 that's a total, that's totally right, and you 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 see you see it around when you go outside, you know, especially in Vermont. You know, everything's split between Montreal it's and, and because, Boston. You know, most if I were to put a geographical line, you would have to cut half of uh, Vermont and New Hampshire, and parts of Maine would belong to the Bruins, and some of them would belong to the Canadians. If you get to the greater uh, Quebec border. 
And that's kind of how things get disputed. If you if you want to have hockey fights that way, uh, fan wise, that is not not on the ice. <laughs> yeah, I think you're exactly so, um, correct, Joe. Justin, you talked a lot about Laval, and let's go through game day situation. Um, what do you miss? Uh, Going before, during, after your assignments in Laval when, you know, you are doing your journal job? Um, I actually haven't been to Laval just yet. That was supposed to be uh, on track before coronavirus. Uh, unfortunately, canceled that. Um, that was supposed to be about uh, within the first week or two that COVID-19 hit. So um, I actually can't speak to that. But you know, I'll say it from the Toronto angle, since that's something I got to do a whole lot. Um, something I absolutely miss is getting to talk with, uh, you know, Sheldon Keefe and, uh, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Toronto Marlies players, uh, especially those who have been up with the Leafs before, such as, uh, you know, um, I'm going to say Darren Archibald just won a veteran who actually wasn't with the Maple Leafs, but he was in the NHL, so he's got the experience. Um, but talking with some of these up-and-coming players, uh, again, you know, Lil Jagrin, uh, Kenny Agostino, who was up with the Canadians. He played for Laval Rocket. He played with the New Jersey Devils. For a little um, bit, yes. <laughs> yes, he was. That was a player I actually enjoyed uh, talking to because he, uh, he was made available to the media a, a whole lot after games. So I uh, got to know him over time and then became comfortable with uh, head coach Greg Moore, who came from the USHL. So, you know, I miss getting to... Uh, engage in uh, hockey conversation uh, with these people because not all of it was actually used for my stories. A lot of it was just simply good hockey conversation talking about the logistics of game day operations on ice and, you know, what's the thinking behind this? What's the thinking behind that? Um, you know, whether it's a win or lose, uh, I mean, the wins were always exciting because, you know, they had the music going on in the locker room and the, me- and the media site for the Marlies right outside their locker room. Um but also getting to talk with uh, visiting teams, which I did uh, a couple times, Her- the Hershey Bears being one of them. I spoke with Spencer Carberry, who is a former hockey player himself. So, um, you know, these are simple hockey routine things that uh, I really miss. And I think Armand can attest to that. And especially because I didn't just do it with the Marlies. I did it with the OHL's Kitchen Rangers, the OHL's Mississauga Steelheads. Um, I've done it in women's hockey with the PWHPA this year. Um, so it's something you you know, becomes part of your life and uh, <laughs> it feels almost out of whack uh, for four months without it. Yeah, and I'm basically looking at the map of Toronto along with, you have Newmarket, which is home to Mr. Connor McDavid, where he's learned to develop that wonderful, outstanding, legendary player he's going to be. And, you know, looking at what he did last night, he got a hat trick and that was amazing just to see what he did. And in that area, you have the Oshawa generals, you have the Peterborough Peets, you have the Brampton Wheat Kings, if I'm correct. And you have Miss. Uh, no, they're in the WHL, but I do see there's a Brampton, Ontario, which confused me, but uh, sorry for the, for that one. But um, you have Oakville, which is Tim Horton's uh, headquarters and you have the Hamilton Bulldogs all in that area. So that's, pretty you know special to be in those markets and you got the Guelph Storm that you can easily go to and cover those games so you basically have a lot of really interesting teams even the Kitchener Rangers 
Yeah, I've got a lot of interesting teams, uh, especially at my fingertips, given that, uh, you know, I reside in Kitchener throughout the year, and Guelph is only about 45 minutes, roughly, uh, from Kitchener, sometimes less than that, depending on traffic. So uh, that gives me another access site to get into. And, you know, once you're credentialed one place in the OHL, it kind of makes the rest fall in place really easily. But Mississauga was my first location. So uh, Kitchener uh, took, a look at, uh, took a look at my background and, you know, almost instantly said yes. And so, you know, you're seeing these uh, great cities uh, in the outer parts of the GTA and, uh, you know, the player development that they've done. Uh, I'll touch on the Peterborough Peets, which you brought up uh who housed Akil Thomas uh, for a short time after he was traded from the uh, Niagara Ice Dogs. And, I mean, he is the golden uh, goal scorer from the World Juniors. And so look at a player like that and say, wow, the OHL really can do this. Uh, Gabriel Landeskog, who played with the Kitchen Rangers, he's now with the Colorado Avalanche in the NHL. Um, you know, I'm not going to give you a whole list. That <laughs> it, it's okay but, uh, if you give a little bit more of a list because it's great for all the listeners coming in because we have listeners from Ontario that listen in, especially uh, Mississauga and our top list from Ontario definitely is Toronto along with Mississauga. So it's, it's a growing demographic for us in Canada. Uh, so it's great when you throw in a list of players <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'll toss in a few a few more then, um, just from you know certain um, backgrounds that I got to speak and meet with this year was Jacob Ingham, who I actually covered in Mississauga. So uh, you know when I uh, made the move out to Kitchener and I learned that he was uh, playing in Kitchener for, uh, via trade, I was like, okay, this is really exciting. I catch up with him, and he is signed with the LA Kings and likely to go to the AHL's Ontario Reign now. So there's another one. Uh, Axel Bergfist, who was in his first year with the Kitchener Rangers, has decided to go back home. However, he is a draft pick of the Arizona Coyotes, so how long he'll be back home for, um, you know, might just be here due to COVID. Um, you know, there's no way of knowing. I haven't been told anything from the organization at this time. Um, and then I'll finish off with uh, Will Bitten from uh, the Hamilton Bulldogs. Uh, he is a draft pick originally of, I believe, the Montreal Canadiens and currently in the Minnesota Wild organization, having not signed uh, with the Habs. Um, and lastly, Cam Hillis from the Guelph Storm, who is a draft pick of the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, and some of these are names that uh, even Armand can speak to the talent on them. Go ahead, Armand. You can jump in on those guys. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Cam Hill is definitely, you know, solid guy, solid player. Um, I actually met him back in 2018 uh, where one of my contacts uh, hooked me up for an interview with him. And, you know, it was kind of funny because the the rumor I was getting was, you know, late first, early second. Um, but it ended up dropping to, I believe, what it was, the third or the fourth. And, you know, just being able to, like, interview someone from a who's been drafted from a team who I've, you know, been a fan of my whole life with something special, you know, I was, it, it, it's great to see, you know, him and he's really progressed over the last few years, you know, seeing him at development camp last year in, 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 uh, in Passar before the season began. So, you know, he's still a year away, but you know, it, it it's promising. Uh, it's a, he has it, a promising future. Like, perhaps. You know, the CHL is always finding great players bring, from, you know, different parts of Canada, the U.S., and even Europe. And, you know, we've seen the QMJHL do a really good job with players from, you know, 
like Denmark and even Switzerland, you know, attesting to Mad Sugard, you have Nikolai Ehlers, uh, Nico Heischer from Switzerland, and you had a couple of really great imports uh, recently. So I'm sure you can attest to that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, it's great seeing these guys come in from overseas. Um, and, you know, the it's just going to continue to grow. But I think I think the real question is, as you mentioned earlier, you know, I think it's good. I think this draft is going to be a really interesting one to see, you know, how many players are going to want to stay home. But I also think there's going to be some drawback, you know, not only from the AHL, but also from the e- ECHL because, you know, they're losing a lot of guys just this offseason. You know, I thought – we talked about this yesterday, uh, yesterday on the on the uh, the Puckability podcast. How, you know, it's kind of surprising how many players have you know retired, um, you know, and compared to you know last year, and you know you haven't really seen you know you've seen a, a lot of guys go overseas, but not many, not many people retire. So it's definitely a, a, an interesting. So, um, yeah, I I would eventually like to get on to uh, a Puck Authority. Uh, podcast and I know I was supposed to be on one um, I think a few months ago and it just never uh, we never got to it Um, what are you planning for the next podcast for TPA Uh, yeah that 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 all you can go ahead I'll let you jump in I'm just gonna say this quickly you know you Usually what our Monday night is, you know, we start off with a usual, uh, an ECHL, uh, you know, wraparound, which looks at the weekly signings. Um, and then from there, uh, we started talking NHL because, you know, it's really difficult with no hockey to keep running a podcast every week, but somehow our Monday night managed to do it. Um, but I'll kind of let Armand uh, tell you a little something that I may or may not have gotten him into over the last several months. Yeah, um, yeah, Justin's kind of hooked me onto the game of women's hockey, um, which kind of led me into my uh, my Green Mountain Gals series, um, which is, will hopefully be continuing uh, the next week or two with Mackenzie McNeil, uh, a UVM product. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's been great, you know, being able to cover the women's game as well. Um, you know, we kind of go lightly on the ECHL um, just because. Um, I've recently started up the uh, the ECHL Authority podcast, which has uh, been running for the last, I would say, about month, month and a half, um, adding in a few of our uh, new writers as our team because our ECHL and team I was gonna say, continues you know, to grow. We've been adding on more uh, writers over even during COVID because it just seems like you know the the whole TPA family starting to grow. And I remember you guys brought me in almost a year ago to cover not just the devils, but also um, the draft prospects and everything of sorts like that. And I remember one of my other first assignments, not devils related was, uh, was the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, coaching situation. Yeah, that was, um, you know, at, at that time, very uh, almost up in the air, I think many would say. Um, but I think what's interesting now as we look back on what the, the last year uh, with this organization has been like is Mike Babcock is actually with UVM now. And Sheldon Keith, who was head coach of the Toronto Marlies, is now head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And it was only a matter of time before 
he found himself in the NHL. Uh, he was looking, uh, or sorry, not rather looking. He was in discussions uh, for an NHL head coach position. And so um, when it fell in his lap that Dubas, uh, who obviously had close connections with him uh, from his past position with the Marlies, was like, okay, first one up is Keith uh, before talking with anyone else. Um, you know, I, I think that was huge, especially because Keith led the Marlies uh, to a very, very nearly perfect season. Um, and that was great to be uh, a media member to be a part of. Um, so I think that, you know, again, no brainer bringing Sheldon Keefe in, someone who can only uh, grow on that success and get that uh, necessary experience. And, uh, you know, Kyle Dubas, he's got quite the eye for a team, and now we're seeing it uh, in the NHL qualifiers. How far they'll go uh, remains to be seen, but so far... Sheldon Keefe is making this team look good, and the Maple Leafs are currently live as Puck Drop is just about to get started on Sportsnet Ontario, NHL TV, and NBC. And I was going to say, since we had just mentioned the Leafs, um, I was just watching Steve Dangle for a little bit on YouTube, seeing him get a little, like, always his normal crazy self, and he just, like, really went off on a tangent. And I thought it was pretty funny, but he did bring up, like, I've been watching this team, and they've had the same system for, like, three years or something since, like, uh, Dubis was brought on the job. And it just seems like, you know, he's fed up after just three years of nothingness. And it seems like uh, he's just snake-bitten from years past of other Leafs uh, playoff runs that just – uh, fell them short, and he did bring up the one against Boston, which I know Leafs fans don't want to bring up, but or hear about. But it's it's kind of like the Rangers getting swept uh, back in 0506. So <laughs> it's it's kind of like that. It's kind of of that psyche where people just they feel frustrated. Yeah, they certainly do, um, and so. I think that seeing the Maple Leafs in the qualifiers, at least this year, where they were very, very close to not being in, is really nice. And I think that today they have to prove themselves against the Blue Jackets of what they're capable of if they have any desire of making it any further into the actual first round of the NHL playoffs, just given the thrown-off structure that was given this year uh, as a result of uh, COVID-19 shutting the regular season down. One of the, thing, one of the things when you mentioned both teams of uh, the Maple Leafs and the Blue Jackets. When I think of the Blue Jackets and I begin to think of John Tortorella and I think of him as a up your, you know, what type of hockey type coach. And that's the system he has. Very, he plays a very conservative physical uh, structure for his team that implements it every single game. And when I see it against my devils, I like, oh, God, I'm going to hear this cannon too much. And I just know that, you know, these guys are going to just hip-check you. They're going to blow you away with physicality. They're going to soften you up, and you're going to make soft passes. And it's going to become, you know, easy takeaways. And you're just going to look terrible because they're going to confuse you. So I saw I saw some of that the other night when – you just see Columbus just outmatching uh, the Maple Leafs strategically. 
Yeah, and part of that is because, quite honestly, and like you said, uh, given the kind of, I think, mindset that Tortorella brings to the bench uh, on a day-in and day-out basis, is that he won't have it any other way. To his mind, there are no excuses. He will throw tantrums. He will get mad at players. There is no way around that. So if you're going to be under him, you sure as hell got to perform. And so I think that that's something that, um, you know, and those are quite literally his words. Um, so, I mean, if you don't, he will find a way to get rid of you. It, it, it certainly does seem like that. And Armand, I want to see what you think of um, Sheldon Key versus uh, John Tortorella, the way that they approach this series and, who do you think could possibly win? You know, it, 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 it's 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 going to be a very interesting series. You know, I think I think Columbus is one of those teams who you know we saw last year. You know, they went all in and you know it didn't work out. But you know, this year they still have a very solid club, and I think they got two very good goaltenders, which I think you know when when it comes to the playoffs, you know, defense is key. And I think, you know, goaltending, you know, I, I think you've got to give the edge to the Maple Leafs just because I think Anderson's got a touch more experience um, than Corpus Allo and, um, and uh, Elvis. And, you know, it, it's, it's going to be an even series, and it, it's going to be a fun series to watch. I tend to like watch. those nail-biter type of games. I know Parker on the podcast last night uh, was like, no, that's boring style of hockey. Like, I said, no, no, no. I like the way – it's defensive, it's X's and O's at its best, and it's not as boring as you think it is. And it's, ti- and it's timely scoring that makes or breaks a, a game that could eventually cause the series to shift. Um, I usually like that type of series, but having watched a little bit of the Island- Islanders games today, they just looked – very sharp, keeping Florida at bay and just keeping, you know, the physical play. And Barzell actually uses speed and his legs to draw a penalty and eventually help his team eventually score a crucial point. Yeah, the Islanders game was a very interesting game back and forth. And, you know, as much as you look at the Islanders being up 2-0 right now, I still think this could be this 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 series is going to go at least four games. And so I got an update that Igor Shesterkin is in net for the Rangers. So it seems like that the Rangers are trying to put a stop to the bleeding uh, versus the Carolina Hurricanes. And Morozek looked really good with his defense in front of him. And – a, and a veteran like Justin Williams has been very important to their success. Sveshnikov had a hat trick as well as uh, McDavid did last night. So ye- yesterday was the, the day of hat tricks. What will tonight bring in this matchup? I think, I think just has to ha- has to have a good game. Um, you know, I think, you know, it, it's not a surprise that Lundqvist is going to kind of help them in the series. But I think I think the Rangers need to need, need to get their offense going. I think they need to rely on Jaskirskin, um to at least have a solid night. And, of course, like Adam Fox is the former uh, prospect of 
the Carolina Hurricanes, and he was and he asked for a trade early in the season. I mentioned this with Parker Warner uh, yesterday, um, and I know that it's just you know one of those things. You know, a player's like I don't see myself with this team, but I see myself with that team. Um, it seems Fox is trying to make a name for himself. Will he and Tony D'Angelo be able to get the Rangers back within the game to kind of make it a, an actual series versus like being on a brink of elimination? I think they have to. I think, you know, when you look at where they are, um, I think you got to. Like I said, I've been telling everyone this is, you know, this is a very weird format and you're bringing in a lot of new guys who haven't played in the playoffs um, before, like a guy like Adam Fox. So I think no matter what, even if the Rangers do get eliminated, I think you got to look at it is, you know, you kind of gave Adam Fox a little bit and of so, playoffs. Um, Brendan Lemieux, which is the son of Claude Lemieux, the son of New Jersey Devils uh, forward uh, Claude. So Whenever I remember when Brendan was in his draft year, I always thought he kind of played like his pops a little bit with the physical play and he could chip in offensively, but he seems to be such a great agitator, kind of like his father. And he just seems to be the type of guy that could help alternate a game, but I'm not sure if he can help tilt the ice completely in favor because it seems Carolina just wouldn't probably won't bite for the type of bait that he would try and bring in a game like today where Carolina is focusing on clinching. Yeah. I think you're right. You know, it it can't be just those two guys. It's gotta be more. And, you know, it's going to, it's going to, like I said, it's going to be a very interesting series. It's going to be interesting to see what the Rangers are going to do now. With their and so, Justin, uh, when you think about these rivalry games, you know, you have these conference games, especially like Chicago, Edmonton. Uh, what do you think about the competitive side that we've seen from after all this uh, absentee uh, being missed from March? Well, for starters, you know, when you see what Connor McDavid is doing for them and, you know, the competitive advantage that it gives the Oilers, I think that um, that instantly says, okay, like, look at this kid. This is a kid that will not quit. This is a kid that will get Edmonton to the next round. However, there seems to be some, um, I'm going to say, budding criticism, uh, as I saw in an article this morning saying that he needs to slow down. and is that to give Chicago a chance? Is that to even the playing field? Um, but, you know, I think that's not a question I'm going to answer, but I think that Edmonton's got this in the bag. It's just a matter of time. You know, you look at. And so what did you think of Dominic Kubalik, uh the other night when he just had that outburst of just around five points in that game? It just seems that. Chicago always finds a way to sign or trade for these young players. 